Welcome to The Double Up. I'm Shannon Hughes. And I'm Rachel Tilly, and we're here to serve as the voice of women surfing. This week, we discuss wave pools on the QS, as well as a chat to Maria Albring, who competed in the Swedish National Championships in the Waco Wave Pool. Break down the Sakurama Challenger Series event, Katie Simmer says yes, and finally, who is realistically in the running to qualify for the final two spots on next year's championship tour? Shannon Hughes, after a few weeks of us not catching up, um, you've been in Puerto Rico. We are back on the mics and back to talk about women's surfing. Welcome back to Australia. How was your trip to Puerto Rico? Thanks. Um, well, it was very unexpected. I will tell you that. I got the news about 20 hours. It was definitely less than 24 hours before I boarded a plane that I needed to be <laughs> on a plane <laughs> heading to another contest, such as life as a um, non-full-time employee <laughs> of the surf industry. As a contractor. As a contractor. Just contract onto everything. Yeah. So Puerto Rico was very warm and the Have water was- Have you been was- to Puerto Rico before? No, that was my first time. And I've got to say, now I had a very like, it was a very full on event. So I didn't surf. I surfed like one half hour to surf literally after finals finished on the last day. And then that was it. It was a really full on work week. So we didn't really have like play time at all. Well, but, you and I barely talked at all as well. I know. Hence it was actually, also why we were not recording at all. Sorry, guys. I could barely send messages back and forth. Yeah. And Aaron and I were both in that space. So it was just, yeah, yeah it was kind of nuts. Um, but it was nice. We were there together. And yeah, I will say that I feel like Puerto Rico would be a really cool place to go back to on an actual surf trip because oh, some of the crew. Oh, you've been there? Yes, I have. You've been like hiding this secret in your pocket the whole time. Well, I didn't think it was a secret. I was just going to say that I love Puerto Rico. And well, it was in a two great weeks spot. of me being there, you never even messaged to say you loved it. Oh, I don't know. Oh, did you go to all the cool places that I suggested? You didn't get yeah. that message? No. Actually, Puerto Rico is where I first ever is a photo from that trip was my first ever double page spread in Pacific Long Border. Whoa. I think I was like 14 or something. Life when moment. When I went there. Core so it was a long made. time ago that I had been there. 10 years ago. Yeah. And haven't I told you about... <laughs> so I was there on like a photo trip. Haven't I told you about that time when I did that like photo shoot in mermaid tails. Yes. You and that was in Puerto Rico. Caitlin Mickelson. Yes, that was in Puerto Rico. And I was literally like, we were like in the shoreline and like the shore break waves were breaking on us. And then it was like, okay, like go out there and we'll get you like swimming in the waves. And I nearly drowned trying to swim with my like feet in this mermaid tail <laughs> thing. It was <laughs> Oh, it's so good. So maybe I actually can't show my face back in Puerto Rico, they'll be like, there's the mermaid girl. <laughs> there's the mermaid girls. <laughs> so funny. Um, what have you been up to since I last talked to you? Oh, gosh. I was not prepared for that question. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> Sucked it. <laughs> I have just been getting back into the swing of things here in Australia. Obviously, it's turning warmer and everything. So been spending a lot of time in the water. Um, it's so blue and so beautiful. So I've just been soaking up the sun and the ocean. And tomorrow I'm leaving on a four or five day camping trip on Morton Island with a bunch of friends. So I am super excited for that. With your foiling friends? With my my friends that I foil with, except I have not foiled in 
over a year at least. So I'm have no doubts that I'll probably try and get back on the foil this time on this trip since everyone else foils. We'll see. Hopefully I don't come back with any injuries, (laughs) but I will also be bringing my longboard mid-length. I'm glad to hear that because I was just having this sort of sad moment for us thinking our lives have become foiling and stand-up paddling (laughs) due to my trip to Puerto Rico. (laughs) No, I'm definitely, I think I'm going to be spending most of my time on my longboard, but What it is, basically, we'll be on like four-wheel drives, driving on the sand, camping on the beach, and we're in front of this like long, super, super long right-hand point. Oh, so good. And I've just heard so much about it for all the time that I've lived in Australia and have never actually gotten over there because I don't trust myself driving on the beach by myself. Like I I think that's experienced people. Trust your gut on that. Gut yeah, I've, I mean, I've done it before, but I'm just not experienced enough. Like, if something happened, I would just be waiting for someone to pass by and being like, "Help, help!" <laughs> You're just out Which there Australians- writing like SOS in the sand. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Australians are so nice that I've been in that scenario before with friends, and like people have have pulled over and been like, "Do you need help?" And we've gotten help before. So you know, maybe I sh- maybe the fear is unreasonable. Maybe I should just go for it. Not this time, though. I'm going with plenty of experienced people. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I've just gotten done doing all my shopping for food. And I got like a bunch of fruit and snacks, peanut butter and jelly supplies, just anything that I think I just kept imagining. What do I want to eat when I get out of a surf? So hopefully the weather, the weather's planning on being good. <laughs> I've asked the weather. It plans on being good. <laughs> It looks like it's going to be a nice week. Yeah. So hopefully it stays like that. And then after we finish recording, I have to finish packing up, which I hate packing, but I'm just going to bank on it being warm. So it'll be mostly bathing suits and maybe I'll bring a pair of jeans just to be like responsible. Oh, great call. That sounds so fun. I'm jealous. Yeah. Yeah, I'm but I'm really, also I'm so really happy to be home for the first time. So I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, true. You don't need to be packing back up. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't even unpacked yet. Puerto Rico suitcase. I'm looking at it right now with all my clothes spilling out of it. Well, I am, since I've been in Australia, which is now for about a month. Oh my gosh. What's the date today? It's the 13th. Oh no. Okay. I thought it was going to be a month today. It's not. But anyways, almost a month. <laughs> I'm still living out of my suitcase. But that You've is also because shifted I, houses. Yes, like I'm in times? like the third house that I've been in since being over here. So it is warranted. But I have been, I'm pretty much going to be living out of my suitcase the entire time that I'm here in Australia until I go back home for Christmas. So Anyways, solid. I feel like no one else finds this <laughs> conversation as interesting. Oh, you know what I just thought of though, which was kind of, I was thinking about traveling more and us packing yes. bags. Quick tap on to our conversation from the last time we recorded about the board bags and like flying across, you were like flying overseas with such like the heaviest surfboard bag of all yes. time. That's correct. Was that Kira Pinkerton's board got destroyed <gasps> like a few days after we recorded that episode. I and know. we had to fly. So she was flying with United. I was flying with United as well. And so I'm just like now super thankful after the fact. And okay. it's just, yeah, go ahead. So, well, yeah. So she flew with United, had her board literally like melted. Her board bag like melted a hole through it. She said is like what it seemed like. Her wetsuits were melted, I think. How does that even happen? Then our whole trip to Puerto Rico and back from Australia was with United. And we just, it was too expensive for them to book us with American, which is what we would have rather flown with for our status. 
and my the rail of my board got smashed on the way home, <gasps> which is not terrible because it's the mid length the gato that I've been writing for forever, and it's like that full has of patches like anyways. A- Jillian patches. Yeah. So I've actually just been surfing it with this big hole in it this week because we haven't been able to like get it fixed. So have you put duct tape or like wax over it? You know, we or? haven't even like gotten to that stage of things. You're just surfing with it. I've just been like surfing with raw. it. But I've been then <laughs> laying it on its side, like on the rail to let it drain. Not that that, that actually helps. Doesn't, oh I know. Gosh. I know. Terrible, but the board is so old. I'm expecting it to snap every surf anyways. But I was just thinking... Well, you're speeding that up for word sure. Word to the surf community, just don't fly with United, okay? I don't know. Just that's don't, guys. But that's the thing. That's not my experience. Well, this is my actual question. Is like, really, it is... I hope a listener of ours is a baggage handler <laughs> because they can clear this up. I feel like, really, it is about the baggage handlers who are, like, transporting it from luggage yeah. cart to airplane, back out of airplane, back to luggage cart, then to baggage claim. Those luggage transport baggage handlers i should say well i don't know what i shouldn't say anything i don't know what their actual title is but those baggage (laughs) i think you should do an internship as one i think i should yeah then i could give the scoop myself yeah but they just work at the airport you know like it i don't think that they are airline specific so what my point is is like when people get damaged from start, you know, being like, I flew with United and I got this damage, or I flew with Virgin or Jetstar, or whatever, and I got this sort of damage. Is that a reflection of the airline or just having like bad baggage handlers at that airport? Question number two, or no, that not an question. Interesting that's thought. my first. That's good thought. It, that's a thought. My other point then. I'm more under the belief then that it is that way, that you have like luggage handlers that are just kind of going from plane to plane and like unloading, reloading, unloading, reloading. So really what's key is having an airline, like when something like that happens, how they rectify the situation. And it sounds like, getting back to Kira Pinkerton's point, it sounds like she's had a lot of run-ins with United and they have not rectified, like made rectified the situation at all in saying like, oh, it's not our fault or this or this. Those are then the airlines to stay away from where I will say I've flown with Virgin Australia and I got a ding in my nose and it was, I have a video of it because it was like coming off the airplane and it was like in just a single board bag and he like picked it up by the tail and it was clearly windy and the nose just went boom and like smashed <laughs> on the ground. And I was watching you the like whole thing videoing be, like it. in the window seat videoing it. Yeah, because I was like, oh, my board, like I'll video this and then just watch this whole thing go down. And so then when I went to, I knew there would be a ding and it wasn't really bad, I will say, but there was a ding. So I went to baggage services and was like, hey, this happened. Look, I even have a video of it. Like this definitely happened right then. And they had me fill out a claim and I went back or well, I didn't submit the claim like in those first two weeks or maybe in that month or something. And they followed me up like four times and being like, hey, here's a reminder to submit your claim. Here's a reminder, just like whatever the cost is to repair it, submit that invoice, submit it, submit it. They reminded me like four times to do it. That's amazing. That's where I feel like it is important because if you've got an unlucky luggage handler, baggage handler, then it's important that you have an airline that will actually take ownership and rectify the situation. Which is not well, United. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Which apparently is not United. 
But also this um, listener that wrote in said she asked us to give like, I think it's a great idea at some stage that we can give like a how to travel well with boards kind of, um, which you kind of just did actually pick the airlines that pick the airlines I have pick good the airlines that will rectify and check in with them ahead of time. Like what do they do if there's damage to any luggage? Oh yeah. Before I take off, I always look at like oversized policy. Just while you're sitting in the plane about to take off, you check that out? (laughs) No, like before I book an airline, I like check just to make sure that, you know, I'm not showing up to the airport and they're like, oh, we don't accept anything over two meters. And then I'm like, well, that sucks because I have a three meter board to check. Yeah. Oh, but that's what I'm saying. So I I clear all those things with an airline before I, before I book. Okay, so Rach, just to round out this que- this this conversation, not question, before we get into our actual episode, another long intro from us. Um, I just was relooking at that stab article that they did on Kira Pinkerton, um, like when her boards got melted. <laughs> I'm still just like, how did that happen? And so, according to Kira, she didn't want to go down the route of putting on social media and like making a big fuss about it and everything because she just didn't want to do that. And went to United, tried to claim it, and they refused to like take any responsibility. So then she went to social media, Stab picked up on it, wrote an article, it got a lot of traction, and then United changed their mind and did refund her. And so they like took responsibility, which is worse because they clearly only took the responsibility because then they were getting a bad public like rap. Yeah, absolutely. Which is terrible. So moral of the story, unless you have to fly with United, just don't. Shoot. Well, United is my airline partner. Oh, right. I know. Well, you can let us know how your upcoming trips go with boards with them. because My last one didn't go bad, but that's because I just got lucky, I think more so, and I haven't had to claim anything with United. So once I come to that point, I will update. So good. It's kind of inevitable traveling with boards. Yeah, it's pretty much just going to happen. Should we get into it? We should. And now into the top news stories from this week in Women's Surf. Our first news story for this week is that wave pools are now officially on the table as declared, proclaimed by the WSL. <laughs> it has been proclaimed. It has been proclaimed wave by the WSL. Wave pools are allowed. <laughs> yes. So basically, wave pools have obviously been a fast-growing sector in the industry with the technology and everything. And we have been seeing so many... Specialty events taking place in wave pools all around the world, but none of them have been WSL sanctioned. Basically, WSL's just been trying to catch up their licensing format for their QSs to adapt and adjust to have wave pools in that type of format. And now, obviously, they have come to a way that they are satisfied with. And so now wave pools are on the table for all QSs, juniors, and longboard events. Yeah, it is so interesting, Rachel, that that is now on the cards for more events than just the championship tour, because I feel like the Surf Ranch event had a lot of excitement around it to start. And it's obviously like the dreamiest looking wave of all time. But the excitement levels of it being in a contest format have been pretty lackluster and I don't think has been received very well in the surf world as far as uh, viewership and fans go. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And so it's just an interesting one to see that they're clearly running with this, but then how I think in a good way, the different dynamics of different types of wave pools could add into that. So at a spot like Waco, there's a lot of diversity to it, but also the real focus at a wave like Waco is going to be the air game as opposed to rail game. And so that almost could end up being the same 
sort of monotony that we're seeing at Surf Ranch of being same kind of wave, perfect point break, great rail work with an ends and air section thrown in at different stages where Waco could be really insane, exceptional airs that we're not going to be able to see at the vast majority of surf events run in the ocean. But then will it just be air contests for, say, qualifying events or for junior events, as opposed to the well-roundedness that you need of surfing in the ocean? Yeah, well, I would argue that's why it's taken them so much time to actually add this in a sanctioned type of way into WSL tours because so many of the waves do have some sort of specialty, you know, whether it's barrels or airs or just rails. A lot of these waves are very one-dimensional in that way. So it will be interesting to see now how these start getting integrated. And then if you do have two events that are you know, at wave pools such as Waco that are air dominated, then do you have to actually balance that out to have two events in a wave like Urban Surf or the Wave Garden? Like, do they all need to balance each other out? And will they be looking at that as a whole? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I totally get what you're saying. I think the difficult thing with that is going to be now that the qualifying series is regionalized again, and you're not going to have yeah, surfers so traveling across the about world. Mid, <laughs> mid, mid my thought. last sentence. Yeah. But I was like, I have to just keep going with this. No, it is. It's a really good. Like, I think that's a very valid argument. And these are probably discussions that the WSL was having around, okay, deciding to go ahead and sanction wave pools for all levels of events for juniors, for QS, for longboarding. Are all of these kind of things, like all of the different things that come into play on fairness, on well-roundedness, on reasons why they run events in places that they run events. So I do think it's really interesting. I feel like because of the regionalized qualifying series specifically, and the juniors are always that way as well, maybe the longboard tour would be the only thing, but you don't want to run a longboard event in a wave pool unless it's surf ranch. Like, let's be real. That wouldn't probably be the best anywhere else. Like you want to have a wave that's really long. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, Rachel, how this unfolds. And I think part of the discussion with it will be more that right now we know that there's an event that's been announced. So in Australia, Urban Surf, which is a wave pool in Melbourne, um, which is in Victoria in Australia, has announced a QS1000 that's coming up in December. It's just a single day. It's just December 10th, which looks really funny on the calendar, actually, (laughs) as I'm looking at it right now. Like December 10th to to the 10th. will be happening. We don't really know any more information about it, but that will be an interesting thing to see unfold. And it's a low ranked QS. So I'm curious even to see who's going to enter in of the Australian crew. If we'll see anyone that's maybe more higher ranked, although that will probably be conflicting with Hollyiva as well. So likely it'll just be those low ranked QS surfers that'll be entering into it. I mean, you know, in reality too, a lot of these surfers, it's not going to be new to any of the surfers competing in these places because Urban Surf, Wave Garden, Waco has been having plenty of contests. It's just now, you know, so surfers are used to it to a degree. So the only difference is now is it's actually going to be making an impact in their ranking in each of their regions because now it's a ranked event. Totally true. And I feel like um, with this announcement from the WSL, they probably have more events that are in the pipeline that haven't been announced yet. And that this isn't just an announcement of like, hey, Absolutely. everyone in the world, you are now allowed to start, you know, planning and, and trying to come up with the funds to run a QS in your wave pool. 
but it's probably that there are some other events that there's already conversations happening about. They've just made the announcement because they also needed to announce that the QS 1000 happening going to happen in, on the 10th <laughs> in a month, a month from now is going to be happening. Okay. Final thought on uh, this topic is that in the press release where WSL made this announcement, they did make the stipulation that championship tour level events can only happen at Kelly Slater wave co technology. So right now the only one that does exist is the surf ranch. So with this announcement, obviously CT level events can't happen anywhere else but the surf ranch until more surf ranches start popping up around the world. Which actually, now I've just thought about this, does it really matter to build any other surf ranches if it's going to be the exact same wave technology just in different locations? Like, does it matter if they're surfing in a surf, like in that exact wave? in Lemoore versus like somewhere in in Europe, you know, like at least all these other wave pools are, they are different. And so they can have that like balance that we were talking about earlier. I originally thought that maybe this was a move for them to entice investors to want to build, you know, like invest in building a surf ranch in, I don't know, somewhere else in the world. So then that way they can host a CT like the way that they were kind of keeping wraps on this control over it. But now in thinking about it, if they're only allowing CTs to be surfed in that wave, it already exists. There really then is no incentive to build it anywhere else because it exists, right? So then it doesn't matter if, unless like the technology that they're referring to can then create different styles of wave. I mean, I guess that's that's an option, but... Yeah, I guess the only draw card that I can think right now is that you could pretty much go anywhere on the planet and it would be cooler than going to Lemoore where the surf ranch is. But it doesn't matter because when we're watching on the on the TV or on the broadcast, you're only watching, you know, the wave itself anyways. You're right. So the only the incentive is the to the actual surfers who then have to go stay in cheap motels in Lemoore rather exactly. than them getting to be like in a really cool European countryside or something exactly. like that. Exactly. But yeah. So I I don't know. I actually think that's kind of, that's an interesting one. <laughs> Not many more comments there. I just think that's interesting. <laughs> well, it'll be cool to see what unfolds. And I'm excited to see Urban Surf and how everyone goes there for the very first QS to happen in Wavepool. Well, Shannon, as we said before, Wavepool competitions are not a new thing, although obviously they are a new thing to WSL QSs. We thought it would be interesting to chat quickly about the Swedish national championships that just took place in the Waco wave pool in chatting to the Sweden surf team manager. uh, He was explaining to us that they ran this over in Waco due to the fact that Sweden does not have very consistent waves. And usually when they do run events in Sweden, it has to have a two-month waiting period, which obviously logistically is tough to run an event, but also then hinders the event participants to just the surfers that do live in Sweden or are committed to staying there for, you know, that entire two month window. So the fact that they could come over to Waco and compete in waves that are obviously reliable because it's a (laughs) wave pool um, was an opportunity for them to run their national championships. So we are going to chat to Maria Albring, who competed in the event. 
Well, Maria Alabring, thank you so much for joining me on The Devil Up today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Where are you at right now and what has your day looked like? Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm in Brazil. I'm in, uh, it's called, it's a small town called Itacare, the surf town in northern Brazil. And uh, my day has been training, surfing, training, eating. <laughs> yeah, I've surfed. I'm, um, I have a coach here, actually, that we have been training with today from uh, uh, south of Brazil. So it's been a really good day. That sounds incredible. Um, now, are you in Brazil full time? Are you just there on like a surf training uh, this is this is where I learned to surf two years ago, and I've spent quite a lot of time here for the last uh, during the last two years. Um, but I have actually for the last two years I've been traveling around. So I I usually say I live where the waves are, <laughs> where the good waves are. <laughs> That's so good. Um, I would love to know what your journey was like coming into surfing. I know that you started a little later in life. What's it been like? Uh, it's been amazing. It's like the best thing I've ever done. I started, yeah, I started pretty much two years ago here in Brazil. And I have a cousin who lives on Maui. He was born born and raised there. And he's a surfer. And we went, my family went there when uh, when I was 11. And I just thought he was the coolest person ever, you know, he and his surfer friends. So I think like that's where the, the, it yeah. was a seed planted that someday I'm going to become a cool surfer too. And then it took me about 27 years <laughs> to, to do something <laughs> about it. But I tried, you know, here and there, but it's, uh, I, I realized pretty early on, it's a really hard sport. So I knew that if I wanted to like really learn, I had to like live somewhere where you can surf and Sweden is really cold and I don't like the cold, you know, so it's, uh, <laughs> Neither do I. no, and the waves are really bad. So I, yeah, I had a restaurant business and when COVID hit the world, um, there was pretty much game over for my business. And so I decided to shut down pretty quickly and take one year off and learn how to surf and that one year is now two years <laughs> <laughs> still haven't returned to the restaurant no and haven't not yeah exactly <laughs> um talk to me about yeah living in sweden running a restaurant and then deciding to leave of course covid played a big part in that because your mm -hmm. restaurant got shut down but Mm -hmm. How did that then, I guess, encourage your desire to learn how to surf and really put that time into it? Well, it was something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but I realized I had to be in a place where you could surf like regularly, at least like three or four times a week. And especially if you start later in life, because I was 39, you know, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to require some effort. <laughs> so... <laughs> I had a friend who was here in Brazil and said, come here. He sent like a video and it was like the worst waves I've ever seen. Cause I knew like a little bit about it. I was like, he was like, it's great here. You've been to Hawaii. Yeah. And there was like this short period wind swell and it looked horrible, but I was like, okay. Cause I wanted to go and surf with my cousin, but because of COVID we couldn't fly from Europe 
to the U.S. Right. So I was like, well, I never been to Brazil. It, I, I'm sure it's fun, and like I don't probably don't need you know perfect waves just to get started. So I went, and it's also cheap, you know. So I was like, I could take a lot of classes, and I came here, and I went to like the same beach every day for three months and surf every day and just fell in love with it. And I got a lot of like positive like encouragement as well. So that helped a lot. And people, yeah, like some people said, you know, you have like, you have talent because I picked it up really quickly. And my friend said, yeah, you're going to become good at this. And I said, no, it's going to take me two years before I can stand on a shortboard. And within like a month, I was on a shortboard, you know, I should probably, shouldn't, I probably shouldn't have been on a shortboard because I look yeah. like Quasimodo when I look at the videos <laughs> now. It looks so bad. A little kooky to start. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I, yeah, I just fell in love with it. And I was, and then someone sent me, a message on Instagram and asked me if I wanted to compete in the Swedish championship. And I was like, Oh, that's the, that's the funniest joke ever. I was, I, I actually said, Oh, can I bring someone to push me in? Because I can barely catch the waves myself. I just thought it was so funny. But then I think that like that, then I started thinking like, Hmm, I wonder if I can like become decent at this, you know? And, I started looking at the other Swedish girls that were competing and how like their level. And I was like, yeah, it's not like they surf, you know, I mean, if they would have surfed like Carissa Moore, I probably would have been like, nah, nah, <laughs> maybe not, maybe next year. <laughs> but the level in Sweden is a small sport. It's not like super high. So I was like, maybe I can do it. And then I started training more and looking for like coaching and, I met a coach that was really good. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, so I, in February this year, I just decided, okay, I'm going to compete in the Swedish championship this year or next year and started training super hard. That's incredible. So yeah, you had almost what, eight months or so to prepare for it. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it like then getting there to Waco and being among the 10 best Swedish surfers on the women's side? Uh, it was really fun. Uh, I mean, I have, I only competed twice before the contest in, in like in El Salvador. Cause it's, yeah. I, and that, so I was really nervous, obviously, because I don't have that much experience competing, but it was really yeah, fun. Yeah, there's so much that comes with that. Oh yeah, so much. But I have a really good, I have a, a like a sports psychologist that I worked with and that helped a lot for me to just That's like, amazing. just focus on you and what you can do, you know, don't, don't think about everything else. And, and also my goal going into the contest was to have fun. Like that was the most important thing, have fun and do your best. And then just focus on like, what I can do, like do two strong turns. And that's, that's what you can do. You can't like, I mean, you're not going to do an error and you're not going to get barreled and like, don't care about what the other one's doing because it, it, it you can't, yeah. yeah, there's nothing I can affect, you know, like they, they, they're going to do what they do. And I, I focused on what I could do. Um, but it was super fun. It was also really, really fun to get to know the Swedish surfers. 
because I I'm I've always surfed abroad, so I don't like I don't know the com the the, the other Swedish female surfers. Yeah, that's amazing. It would have been such a cool thing for you to just get to know that community. Yeah, coming from the same place. Yeah. Now I heard that the reason the Swedish championships were run in Waco in Texas of all places is because you have to have like a two month waiting period in Sweden to be able to run events. And so obviously it would really only play to the favor of those that are living in the country instead of, you know, surfers like you that are living overseas. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it just also made, you know, it's possible for all the surfers that, live on you know bali or new zealand and that are like really good and that could like compete for sweden uh some are but like the ellen who won she doesn't even compete in the swedish national team but now i think she will start doing that she's really really good you know and she hasn't lived in sweden but she has her mom is swedish so it's also a way to attract the best Swedish surfer, which is really good for the sport. So talking about that and the fact that most or, you know, the majority of, of Swedish surfers at the moment are living maybe in different places outside of Sweden to really capitalize mm-hmm. on getting consistent surf around the world. What do you think the future of Swedish surfing holds? Um, well, we're looking at potentially building a wave pool in Sweden. And that would, of course, be like huge for Swedish surf because then you can surf consistently (laughs) Uh, and train, which is... um, Yeah. Which is not... I mean, now it's very inconsistent. I was there for five weeks during the summer and I think that was like one or two days with waves and very small waves. So um, that wow. obviously would be huge. And um, I think also the fact that, you know, we had a sponsor this year for the Swedish championships who paid our tickets, our recommendation, our food, the pool fees, everything. Uh, it's also oh, incredible. Yeah, incredible. So, and it's, um, it was broadcast. It wasn't uh, didn't broadcast live, but it's also been had a lot of PR in in Sweden before and after the the contest. So I I think all of this is like very positive for the sport because it's it's a small sport in Sweden, but it's something that you know when you say to people that you're traveling around surfing, everyone is like. <gasps> I want to do that too. So there's a lot of people that want to surf, but it's just the, 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 the circumstances in Sweden is not ideal. Yeah, a beautiful place to be on the coast, but just not really consistent enough to actually stand up on a surfboard. No. Wow. Well, I love hearing that. Um, I am so intrigued to see how that develops, especially on the wave pool side, to be able to give just a community there in Sweden, the opportunity to train more often, like you're saying, that's so important in getting that consistency. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Now you're in Brazil, you finished up the championships, you're now, you know, on your way to becoming a professional surfer. What, uh, what's next for you on the, on the calendar? Uh, well, I'm here right now um, training with a, a new coach. And what's next is my... I'm going to plan the contest that I'm going to do for the 
um, next six months because I realized during the I made it to the finals, by the way, which I'm really congratulations. Proud of. Yeah, hold on, let's talk about that for a second because I actually missed that. Um, how did how did the event actually go? Who took the win, and what was it like being in the finals? Yeah, it was. I was so happy. I was so happy. I cried when I realized <laughs> I made it to the finals. And, uh, That's so good. Yeah, and yeah, super proud. And it was, um, I, I placed fifth in the, in the finals. And Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And Ellen Tavaru uh, from New Zealand. Uh, I mean, she's half Swedish, half, how do you say that? Half New Kiwi? Zealand. Oh, yeah. Kiwi, half <laughs> Kiwi, yeah. Kiwi. <laughs> uh, she won. I mean, she's really, really, she's, she's competed uh, for most of her life and internationally. So she's definitely the one that has the most experience. Yeah. Um, and we had two um, Swedish women uh, that, well, one that lives on the Canary Islands that plays second, Emmy, and the other one lives full-time in Sweden that plays third. So, Oh, incredible. Well, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. Considering that you started surfing two years ago and have jumped onto a shortboard so quickly and you've just learned, I was watching some of your videos on your Instagram and you have beautiful style. And I love that you're like now working out what it means to be a competitor and you're going to be pursuing some competition over the next, um, yeah, I guess over the next six months. So that's really exciting. And Hopefully you and I can get in the water someday and get some waves together. Oh, I would love that. That would be so fun. I would love to. I would love to surf in Australia. It's that's one of my like the goals for next year is to head over. I have a lot of friends there and who says you have to come here and surf and uh, I would love to surf there. The only thing that scares me are all the sharks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, where we live, we don't really have too many, but going up the coast, we live in, near Sydney, but um, going up towards like northern New South Wales, it definitely gets a bit scary. And there's plenty of spots that I'm like, I don't think I'll ever paddle out there. <laughs> yeah. But there's so many yeah. fun waves around. So definitely be in touch if you make it over here. And thank you so much for the chat today. It was really fun to get to know you, Maria. And I'm so excited to watch your journey unfold as a surfer. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Last week, the Sakurama Challenger Series event wrapped up and we saw Alyssa Spencer walk away victorious at the biggest event of her career, which was so exciting to see. And we'll get into more of that. But I wanted to kind of start from the beginning of it, Rachel, because there was a lot of implications on the line with this event. It's the second to last event in the Challenger Series. Now we only have Holly Eva to look forward to to see who the final qualifiers are going to be. And heading into Sakurama, there was a couple of surfers that were had a lot on the line that really missed out either because they weren't there in person or because they lost out early on. One of the people that you mentioned in the last time that we recorded this, I think we must have mentioned it on the podcast, either that or you were just like you and I were having the conversation, was the fact that Macy Callahan had decided she wasn't going to go yes. to Brazil to I think compete we said this to secure her position. Podcast. So also we like, Nikki Van Dyke. Move. Yeah. So for Macy, in the end, it really didn't matter at all because she qualified after the first round ran. Just mathematically, the way that the, the round finished out and which surfers made it through and which surfers lost out meant that Macy Callahan couldn't be passed up for at least the fifth spot for qualifying. Um, doesn't mean she's going to stay in that number one spot or anything, but she got her qualification out of it. 
Now, Nikki Van Dyke, another Australian and a good friend of Macy Callahan, decided not to travel to Brazil. She was in fifth place on the rankings heading into it. And by not going, Rachel, she dropped three spots on the rankings, is now sitting at number eight. Yeah, again, like another, I mean, now Macy's makes more sense. The fact that like she was that secure that she didn't even have to surf in it and she qualified. But that's a really interesting for like move on Nikki's part that it's not like, you know, she's sitting 15th and going, ah, I'm, I don't feel like I'm close to a chance now. Like she's right in the middle of the talk. So I'm surprised that she didn't go to Brazil. Yeah, really surprising. And she's put together a pretty solid run this year. So she's obviously got her chance at Haliva and she could go through and smash it, but she's got to do a lot in order to get that qualification now. I think it's interesting as well because that's the type of wave, Sakurama is the type of wave being a beach break wave that Nikki usually does really well in. Like she's won at Manly before. She got second this year at Manly. So it's just usually her lends to her strengths. And so I don't know. I just would have expected her to try and capitalize on that at that event. Like I wonder if we'll ever hear anything from her and like a reason why she didn't go. I, I guess if she hasn't like said anything yet, she probably won't at this point. But I'll just be left wondering and going, hmm, interesting. <laughs> you could have a chat with her the next time you see her on the Gold Coast. Actually, she lives in Melbourne now, doesn't she? Yeah, she's she's from down that way. And yeah, maybe if I see her, I'll be like, Nikki, I'll just get my recording, my voice memo out on my phone and like go into <laughs> reporter mode. Nikki, Nikki, why didn't you go to Sakurama? And just bombard her. Just bombard her. I am looking at her Instagram <laughs> right now. I think you said bombard. I think I also didn't say bombard correctly. <laughs> But I'm looking at it and five days ago, she put up a post that said so much needed time at home and just like waves going off. It must be bells. Looks so good. So clearly just deciding she wanted some rest and some off time, which I totally relate to. But girl, when there is something like qualification on the line and you're sitting in the top five, I don't know about this. Is that decision. Girl. Girl. <laughs> what were you thinking? You tell her, Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nikki. It's just because we're fans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the other big one, and this is now beyond the two that decided not to go, but Sophie McCulloch, who we spoke to in our last episode and her chances of qualifying and how well her year has gone for her. She lost out first heat in Sakurama, which was such a shame. And she dropped three spots in the ranking. She was sitting at number six going into the event and now is sitting at number nine heading into Haleiwa. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is kind of crunch time. So that was definitely not a result that she would have wanted. Um, You know, I know we'll talk about this later on in this segment, but you are only counting four out of the seven events that they're competing in. So that that will obviously be one of the events that she's dropping, but she needed a result that she was going to count out of Sakurama. So yeah, unfortunately, a result like that at this point in the tour is going to really hinder her chances at qualifying. Now, a couple of surfers, Rach, that did really well in this event and had, it was such a shame that they had to meet up where they did, was Bronte McCauley and Teresa Bonvalot met up in the quarterfinals. And it was such an important heat because basically for whichever surfer made it through that into the semifinals, it was going to give them the advantage over the rest of the field for that final qualifying spot, which we'll get into more of Mm -hmm. later. So it was a really interesting heat, Rachel, super tense because there wasn't any like huge scores. It was like fours, threes, fives being thrown out. 
And Bronte's first wave was a left, and then she kind of changed tack mid-heat and shifted over to surfing the right, and that's where she was getting her better scores and took the lead from. Definitely the right seemed to have a little bit more like consequence to them. But Teresa was just sticking to these lefts, got multiple waves, was really trying to force the issue and wasn't getting the scores that she needed. And it seemed like she was making a pretty big mistake by sticking on the lefts because they just didn't, again, have the consequence that the rights had where Bronte was able to just be a little more critical, have something slightly more dynamic to offer to the judges. And in the last couple of minutes, Teresa took off on one last left and she ended up getting the score, which was really close, sort of controversial whether or not the score was warranted. Um, her surfing was really good throughout. Like her, I've, I've really been loving Teresa's surfing this year, but it was a really close call. And with the score, she just like narrowly got what she needed to take Bronte out. And that's put Teresa in a great position looking for the final event. Yeah, exactly right. Now with that result from Teresa, she is put herself into that qualifying line going into or well above the qualifying cut line uh sitting in fifth place going into Haleiwa so at this point it more or less actually is hers to lose and she's going to be defending that now going into the last event yeah it was super impressive Rach to see Teresa get through that heat with Bronte and I think for her it's probably a surfer that you know Bronte is championship tour material. She's been competing at that level for so long. And Bronte's been so strong in the qualifying series prior to the Challenger series being introduced. She's always had to requalify through that. So I think that was a really impressive result for Teresa, even just take Bronte out on a personal level, as I'm thinking it through now. But for Teresa, a bit of a bummer with her going down in the semifinals to Tessa Thyssen, that took away her chance to solidify qualification at Sakurama where if Teresa would have won the event, she would have secured her qualification. So she got really close, but now she's again in a position where she's going to have to get some work done in Haleiwa. Now, wrapping up the rest of the event in Sakurama, super impressive result for Tessa Thyssen, who is a French competitor out of St. Barth in the French Caribbean. And she walked away with a second place finish behind Alyssa Spencer, which was really exciting. And Alyssa just found herself a win and put together a really impressive, her backhand attack through the entire event was something that people were talking about like all over the place, which was really exciting and something that we have known to be her strength. And I just feel like she's one of those surfers that we've talked about Alyssa so many times on this podcast, Rachel, because she wins like every QS that she enters at this stage. That's a low ranked one, like a 1000, a 3000 in the US or sorry, the North American region. Alyssa Spencer's like walking away as the most consistent winner. And for her to be able to now work out that formula on the Challenger series is really impressive. So Alyssa Spencer taking out a win on this level, I think has a lot of credit to go to her coach, Matt Myers, who is a former Rip Curl team manager turned coach last season. And he has found some huge success on the men's side. Rio Waida, the Indonesian, is one of his students. <laughs> I know students is not the right students, um, Athletes? <laughs> athletes, right. They're athletes. One of his surfers. And Rio won back-to-back Challenger Series events this year in Manly and in Belita, which was insane. And Alyssa's part of that crew that's training with them. And their entire crew is like under 21 years old. It's a young pack and he's working. He's just got a great method and thing that he's doing with those surfers. And to see Alyssa on top was, I think, a lot in due to the coach that she has behind her. Yeah, I think it's really cool to see Alyssa now get that win. Um, Alyssa and Kira Pinkerton are the two surfers that I feel like it's just 
one of those inevitable. It's it's just with time that we'll see them have their chance. So to see Alyssa now get that get that win and you know get herself closer to that qualification spot and be in the actual conversation going into Holly Eva, I think is is a huge accomplishment for her whether she gets the qualification this year or not. It just becomes a snowball effect, you know, into next year, into next season, and knowing that she could get those results at such a high level, you know, and and you only get those results at a high level once you've had the success at that lower level. And obviously she has, like you said before. So, you know, it's just her building a house and let's see what she can do in Haleiwa. Um, And if not in Haleiwa, I would expect to see big things from her into next year's season. Yeah, to start finding that consistency at this level of competition. Two other women that I wanted to mention are Kira Pinkerton and Sarah Baum, Baumy, because following along suit with everybody posting great Instagram posts this year and just being really honest with how they're going, how they're feeling about their results and things, both Kira and Baumy put up some great posts after Sakurama and some very heartfelt losses. Yeah, Shannon, I just love, I love posts like this that really give us an insight into what surfers are feeling and processing through wins and losses. I, it gives us the clear and just interesting perspective, a clear insight and interesting perspective into what they're going through on the road of this Challenger Series, all these events and all their losses and successes. So anyways, I'm going to read, I'll read each of their Instagram posts. Kira Pinkerton, I'll start with, uh, this is what she said. Probably the most painful loss of my career as a surfer today. Ninth place finish here in Sakurama. Haven't been able to pass that round in two years, and it's really taken a toll on my mental strength. I will say that I finally can see I'm a good surfer, though, which I've struggled to see for a while. I have good surfs, but when it comes to an event, sometimes I doubt myself so hard to the point I think I shouldn't be there. But thankfully, that's changed in the past year. I know I belong on the CT. I just have a lot more work to do mentally. This loss is good for me. I'm willing to dedicate my entire life to this sport and will work harder to make improvements on the big old overly sensitive brain. Thanks, Brazil. And thanks, Pedro Robolino, for coaching and being by my side through the event. Again, my exact point before, I love hearing exactly where she's at. And I love like, you know, those as little milestones for then she can look back to, but we can also continue to look back to and and then you know, watch her in future events and see if there are those shifts and what she's, you know, actively working through. I I just think it makes it now more interesting watching her in future events, having that insight. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, given that she won a world junior title years ago and that she just took out a win like two months ago in Huntington Beach for the ISA World Surfing Games, which was such a huge result for her. Then for her to go into the next Challenger Series event and or two Challenger Series events after that, because they had Europe in the mix with Portugal, but to then lose out without the results that she wanted, I, yeah, I just feel like her surfing is there. I love that she can see that as well and that she believes in her surfing again for the first time in a long time. And I just love the honesty. Adding on to that, I'm going to read Sarah Baum's post now um, in her review from Sakurama. I walk away from this event with my head held high. I overcame a crazy amount of mental games during this event. These past 18 months, I have been working so hard physically to be at the top of my game, but I have also spent about 80% of my time working on my mental strength. 
I am proud of myself and the hurdles I crossed before and during this event. Time to head back to Australia to reset and get ready to surf some of the best waves in the world in Hawaii. Again, I feel like this is where, you know, competition really is, I want to say, you know, success in competition is mostly about mental strength. All these girls are really good surfers. And of course, you know, being a good surfer obviously is important. But once you start getting towards this high level competing, it's about who's going to be better on the day. And that's where it comes to mental strength, being able for the wave selection strategy, just holding it together, believing in yourself. That is so important in in their level of competition. And so I love hearing both of these girls' perspectives on this. Yeah, so good to hear from Bami. And she's that surfer that hasn't had like that huge breakout result where Kira's had, you know, that world junior title or an ISA win. Bami mm-hmm. is someone that's so like if you just watch her surfing, it will blow your mind. Like her free surfing any day, doesn't matter how heavy, how soft the waves are, like she is an incredibly powerful dynamic surfer. And to know that she's working on that behind the scenes, that she's been putting in so much work on the mental side, just gives me so much hope for seeing her get those breakthrough results that we know she's capable of. One other sad face moment, Rachel, is that Luana Silva is not going to requalify herself for the tour next year. And I just think she absolutely deserves to be there. If it wasn't for that darn midseason cut, she would have had an entire season competing on the championship tour. She would have learned so much and we would have gotten to see so much more of her incredible performances. And it's just a really tough draw to have to go through a rookie season with so many changes that's so short in the end of it and then have to spring back like four days later after Margaret River finished and then jump straight into your qualifying campaign for the next season. And I'm just really bummed that Luana hasn't been able to find any really good results this season and that we won't be seeing her back on the championship tour next year. Yeah, that is unfortunate with her result in Sakurama solidifying, or I guess the other women solidifying themselves in stronger positions and her moving down to 13th spot. Um, which obviously is not a, you know, she's still in, out of the entire rankings, she's still in a really strong position, but with the fact that there's only five women, she's not even close anymore heading into that last event. That's right, which is crazy because if the women had the same number of spots as the men with 10 spots to qualify, um, which <laughs> I don't think I'll I ever go an episode without talking way. about it because yeah. come on, what is happening there? Being in 13th place means she would absolutely have a chance to qualify out of the last event of the season because she would just need to jump up three spots in the rankings. So she'd have work to do, but she'd be right there. Where for the women, to be in the top five is freaking brutal. It is so hectic to try and be in the top five. I'm just going to say that. So well done, Luana. You've had a great season and come back tomorrow. (laughs) Come back next year fighting hard. Tomorrow. (laughs) Wake up tomorrow and fight for it. Yeah, that's the spirit. Actually, I just checked and she is sitting in 14th place. Still, though, same, same conversation. She would have been right in that conversation had, had there, would there, what's that saying? Had there been more spots? If there were more spots, yeah. If, whatever, <laughs> if there were more spots for qualifying. So, yeah, disappointing for Luana, I'm sure. That is a harder one to stomach. You know, but now she can go into Hollyiva 
assuming that she's still going to compete in Haleva because it is in Hawaii. And just the pressure's off and she can just now try and get a really good result and, and try and take that sort of momentum into next year. Our last takeaway from the Sakurama Challenger Series event was the round of 16 heat between Amuro Suzuki and Betty Luce Kerr Johnson. Yeah, it was a really good heat between the two of them. Um, Amuro was surfing so well, and by winning that heat, she did take away Betty Lou's chances of actually qualifying for the tour in Brazil. Um, obviously not taking away her chances altogether, as Betty Lou's still sitting in a really comfortable position in fourth place heading into Haleiwa. But did take away her chances. She did have the chance to qualify, solidify her spot in Brazil. Amuro took that away. And with Amuro making it to the semis, that was her best result on the Challenger Series slash just overall qualifying QS events um, since she won the 10,000 in Spain back in 2019. Aside from obviously her junior world title and her bronze at the Olympics, which are amazing results. Huge but, results. Um, <laughs> yeah, so not taking away from that, but more so specifically looking at the Challenger Series as a whole and her results over the past couple of years, that semifinal in Sakurama is her best result. So I'm sure she's feeling really good with that. Yeah, that was a really solid performance from Amuro. Stoked to see her find some momentum and to shake things up with those fourth and fifth place qualifiers by stopping Betty Lou from qualifying in Brazil. Okay, so just kidding, not actually Amuro and Betty Lou as our last saw on Sakurama, but the fact that Macy Callahan, Katie Simmers, and Molly Picklam all qualified during Brazil, which was super exciting. We obviously already touched on the fact that Macy was not there, but gained her qualification as soon as the first round finished, just due to the mass of everybody else falling out or advancing through. Uh, Molly Picklam traveled all the way to Brazil drew an interference in her very first heat, got eliminated, and then still qualified during the event. And Katie Simmers qualified also by not being in Brazil. So Macy, Nikki, Katie all deciding not to board that flight, spend some time at home surfing some different waves. And for Macy and Katie, it worked out really well. And also Katie has officially said yes to joining the 2023 championship tour and... If there's one thing to actually say we're excited about, Rachel, it is Katie joining the championship tour. It is, which leads us into our third topic for this week that Katie said yes. And again, so excited. I love that some of the main conversation out of this is that Katie has qualified the second year in a row, has actually <laughs> qualified before the final event. And it's like, okay. Is she going to say yes this year? Yeah. Like, I just think, what like a big flex, you know, not of just being like, oh my gosh, she qualified. Yay. It's like, okay, yeah, she qualified. So then what? Is she going to do it? It just totally adds to her cool factor. And it's just like so authentic to herself. I think she's obviously, we know that I think she's so cool. Uh, we think she's so cool. And I put a story, Shannon, this is probably our favorite personal takeaway from this story is that I put an Instagram story up on our Instagram of at the dot double dot up. There's a plug. And, <laughs> you know, after Sakurama finished and just saying how Molly and Katie also solidified their spots. And I put a poll up of, do we think that Katie's going to take the spot this year? Yes or no. And people were, were voting yes or no, guessing, you know, before she announced it. 
And Katie's mom voted yes on our poll. And we were all texting back and forth like, oh my gosh, Katie's mom said yes. And yay, we can like talk about this on the podcast. And then of course, Stab got the scoop and announced it before we could because, you know, obviously we would have brought that monumental news that Katie's <laughs> to mom the server voted yes Everyone, on our poll. Yeah. <laughs> but that was um, pretty exciting to see. We We all had a personal, you know, like, freak out or, you know, going, oh my gosh, okay, if Katie's mom is saying yes, then that feels like a pretty good indication that we will see her on the championship tour next year. She's obviously now announced it. And I I would have been surprised if she had said no the second year in a row, but she is still really young. So, you know, I I just think, I think she's going to bring a really refreshing aspect to the championship tour next year. I am looking forward to having the addition of Katie Simmer surfing on the championship tour. Oh, I think it's going to be such a great addition. And I love that she's taking it in her own stride as well. I was just having a look through the stab article titled Katie said yes. And in true Katie form, you know, not a whole lot of detail to her answers, just some funny moments. She was at home (laughs) sitting on the couch when Travis Logie texted her, who's like part of the tours and competitions team for WSL, to tell her that she was in. She said she was pretty surprised because she wasn't guaranteed that she would make the cup. And so even for her, like deciding to skip Brazil, she could have probably solidified herself in that position with way more guarantee had she actually been there. So she didn't know that she could get her qualification out of Brazil necessarily. But Kaipo Guerrero, my fellow commentator, proposed the question to her on broadcast. And the way that Stab phrases it was, will you accept Kaipo's proposal? And she said, yeah, I'll be competing on the tour next year. So she didn't actually say yes. She said, yeah. And said, yeah. Um, Oh, then we said, should rephrase it. Katie Simmers says, yeah. Katie Simmers says, yeah. That should yeah. be the title. Uh, she also says that she's the most excited for hopefully making the midseason cut. So that she can surf waves like Jbay and Tehupo, which is great. And she wants to continue filming projects. Um, she did say in that article that she has no regrets to not accepting her position on tour this year. I've had that conversation with her on the road this year as well. And she was very like confident and sure in her decision that she made last year to deny the spot. Really liked the time that she got to spend with her friends, with her family, just traveling and surfing more and working on some editing projects. Um, specifically toasted. Um, Stab's helping her produce that. And she's just feeling stoked with the decision she made to skip it, but is feeling like she's ready to take on the task at hand and also wants to still work on putting together some great edits while she's traveling on the road, which is great because Katie style really comes through in those edits. To wrap up this episode, our fourth topic this week, we thought we'd touch on who is in the real running for those last two spots, the fourth and fifth place, heading into Haleiwa Challenger Series event. Obviously, as we have said multiple times this episode, Macy, Katie, and Molly have confirmed the first three spots. So it's down to those final two spots. Because there's only five, which is so sad. So let's break it down. Taking a look at the surfers with an actual mathematical chance to qualify. Now, we're going to go all the way down to number 13 on the rankings at the moment, which is Amura Suzuki. But first, I just want to jump forward 
to number 11 on the rankings right now, Rachel, in Sawyer Lindblad, because sadly, no matter the scenario that unfolds, she has no mathematical chance of gaining qualification out of Haleiwa. So we're going to see her back on tour next year, and it's been great to see her around the season, especially coming off of the head injury, the concussion that she had, and just seeing her back in strength and to be sitting in like that top 15 conversation is incredible for her right now, but she doesn't actually have a mathematical chance to qualify. I will interject real quick here to just give some foundation that the surfers take their four best results and they will drop their uh, less good, their bad, three bad results, whatever. Their three worst results. (laughs) Less good's a good way to phrase it. <laughs> Less good. That's a very like positive spin on life. I, I've been doing that recently. I was um, <laughs> watching a friend when we were in Malibu. Um, one of my friends was competing and he didn't have a very good first heat. And I was talking <laughs> to another friend about it because he was in round two. And I said, yeah, he just got really unlucky in the way that he surfed in <laughs> his first heat. And my friend was like, wow, that was a really good way of saying he did not. That was a really he nice bombed. way He bombed his first seat. He just got really unlucky in how he served. So in their unlucky results, um, they will be dropping three of those. Now that actually does benefit some surfers and hinder others. We've had this conversation on the podcast before where the surfers that actually ha- are more consistent in a way who will be dropping better results get hindered more in this. It's kind of hard to like, to process why it happens like this. Um, Obviously, when you break down the math on paper, it does make sense. But when you're talking about it, it doesn't so much. But the people who have more consistent, who are dropping, let's say, fifth places and ninth places, are affected more greatly than people who will be dropping, (laughs) who will be (laughs) dropping like a, a 25th place or something like that. You know, like those people are actually in better positions for qualifying, if that makes sense. Keep going on your, I just wanted to interject that really confusing, diluted explanation. Hopefully it'll start making more sense as you now go down the list. No, that was really important. I had not thought that we should explain quickly how the actual, like, how qualifying works being top four events. Yeah, so that's how it goes. Yeah, great. Thank you for the more greater <laughs> results that will be coming <laughs> at all of and the less good results for other surfers that we'll be expecting. Yes, yeah which is pretty funny. So basically to start things off, sad for Sawyer, but she has no chance to qualify because even if she were to win, she still won't be with enough points ahead of currently Teresa Bonvolo sitting in fifth place position. Now backtracking to our 13th, 12th, and 10th place surfers. Amuro Suzuki is sitting in at 13th. Sarah Baum is sitting in at 12th. And Vahine Fiero is sitting in at 10th. Now, all three of these surfers will need to win the event in order to have a chance to qualify, but they also need Teresa and Alyssa to fall out in specific places. So for Muro Suzuki in number 13th, she needs to win the event and she needs for Teresa and for Alyssa to not improve on their current results, which means they basically need to lose out first or second round and have no improvements. Sarah Baum. And number 12 needs to win the event. She needs Teresa to not improve in any way. And she needs Alyssa to finish less than a ninth place finish. So if Alyssa finishes a ninth, then a win for Sarah Baum would tie the two of them in the rankings. A couple little things going down there. 
And it's the exact same scenario for our 10th ranked surfer right now, Vahine Fierro, who would need to win, would need Teresa to not improve, and would need Alyssa to finish in ninth, which would equal a tie with a win or uh, Alyssa to finish out less than that. For our next three surfers, uh, sitting from seventh to ninth, being Sophie McCulloch in ninth, Nikki Van Dyke in eighth, and Bronte McCauley in seventh, they all have the exact same scenario where they need to win or get second as long as Teresa doesn't improve and Alyssa does not make it to the quarters. So a little bit more of dynamic going on there. More of an opportunity than the last three surfers that we talked about, but still a lot out of their control needs to happen and they need to win in order to give themselves a chance. This is a really tricky situation, Rachel, for these six surfers. So more tricky for maybe ninth, eighth, and seventh, Sophie, Nikki, and for Bronte, because they all need to pretty much win the contest or they need to make finals. And even if they get their job done, that might not be enough because both Teresa and Alyssa could improve their results. They could make the finals. And that automatically takes those six women in Amuro, Sarah, Vahine, Sophie, Nikki, and Bronte out of qualification. So then that brings us to the real competition here happening between Alyssa and Teresa for that final spot with a side note that Betty Lou Sakura Johnson is sitting in fourth place. She needs semis to improve her spot. Only Alyssa or Teresa really can get ahead of Betty Lou, but those need to be good results with Alyssa getting needing a first or second and Teresa needing a first or second. However, even if, (laughs) to get even more convoluted, even if Betty Lou made semis, then it doesn't matter what Alyssa or Teresa get. Betty Lou has confirmed her fourth place. But obviously, we're really just talking about this competition for the fifth and final spot because Betty Lou nearly has that spot on lock. So then really looking at this competition for the fifth spot, obviously, then is between Teresa Bonvalot who's sitting in fifth place and Alyssa Spencer sitting in sixth place. So while they are competing against each other to do better, obviously with that scenario that the surfers are dropping their worst results, Alyssa Spencer is dropping a, and this is where I was trying to explain how it gets convoluted. Hopefully it makes more sense. Alyssa Spencer is sitting, although she's in sixth place, she's sitting in a stronger position because she is dropping a 17th place. So all she has to do is get a ninth place or better to improve her situation. Teresa Bonvalot is dropping a ninth place. So she actually needs a fifth place or better. So she needs to get farther along around further than Alyssa to improve her situation. Now, if they both get to those scenarios, you know, Alyssa gets into the round of 16th and Teresa gets into the quarterfinals at least, then it kind of evens things out and they're trying to just improve whoever gets, whoever does better out of them from those rounds on, if that makes sense. Okay, Rach. So to simplify this at the moment, Alyssa Spencer numerically has the best shot at qualifying, although Teresa Bonvalo is sitting one place higher than her on the rankings so it's technically Teresa's spot to lose because she's already sitting at number five and it's five surfers that will be making it through on the women's side. But it's pretty close between Alyssa and Teresa at the moment. So once they start making it into the quarterfinals, it's going to be a really tight race to see who goes farther in the event to who's going to take that final qualification spot. The major probably implication here is going to be if Teresa drops out early, 
say she loses first or second heat, then Alyssa Spencer only needs to get a ninth place finish in order to gain that qualification. Exactly. So it's really also about the implication of if one or the other loses out early, unless one of the six girls does what they need to do in in terms of winning the event, Alyssa only needs a ninth place and vice versa. If Alyssa loses out early, Teresa needs a fifth place to secure the spot. I think it's really cool to know that we're going to have more new faces on the championship tour for next season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking at, let's say, well, we have... Like, it's not a guarantee. Obviously, we've got Katie Simmers, who's accepted her position, so she'll be a bona fide rookie, which is exciting. <laughs> yes. But then, for my guess, at least for me, me, me specifically, oh my gosh. For me personally, I am going to hedge the bet that Alyssa Spencer gets the qualification. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. Just because those odds, she, you know, can start surfing relaxed from a ninth place and on. And I, if you've listened to the podcast, I feel like that's what I consistently am talking about with with athletes of like, once you start surfing relaxed, that's then when you start having your <laughs> yeah. your great results and so on. Coaching um, lessons so- with Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> start surfing relaxed. So I think you're right. I think Alyssa actually will be the one to secure that fifth spot uh, after Betty Lou does secure the fourth. However, I'm also just going to throw out something fun and different. I'm going to say potentially. Mm, it's like you're playing roulette with the names right now. I am. I am. I'm trying to go. Do I go like super bottom three or like mid tier bottom three? <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go Bronte. Yep. I'm going to go Bronte. You know, just, I feel like she's going to ruffle some feathers. Okay. I like that. I'm going to go on the like wild card factor. I'm going to go Sarah Baum. Because looking at it, if Teresa doesn't improve, and Teresa needs to do a lot to improve because remember, she's dropping a quarterfinal finish. So she Mm. could knock out earlier than that. Yeah, it's not just them like, it's not the fact that they have to lose first round or something. They actually, exactly. in order to improve, they have to get up to the round of 16 or the quarterfinals. Exactly. And for Alyssa, she had to finish in ninth in order for Sarah to tie. Now, Sarah does need to win the contest, but a wave like Holly Eva is her kind of wave. So my wildcard call is going to bomb me, but I think that very realistically, I could see Alyssa Spencer taking it. Okay, I actually think I'd change my wildcard choice to Nikki Van Dyke. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm just getting vibes from her name on our show notes. Right now, it's just Just like like popping out to you. Because it's underlined, it's not in italics or in bold. Yes, that is my way of, for us in our show notes, to talk through these girls' names. But yes, Nikki is underlined where Sarah Baum is italicized. And that is the real difference in our wildcard selections that we have just made. (laughs) Okay. I have one more thing to say, which you're okay. going to so see coming I was from 10,000 miles us away. Up, but okay. okay. I just, yeah. I just have to say, it's really hard to make these picks because 10 women should be qualifying for the championship tour right now. And the conversation we should be having is actually who's going to take that 10th and that 9th place finish and not just the 5th place. So really, we should be seeing Vahine, Sophie, Nikki, Bronte with a really tight battle for Sarah and Amuro to try and get their qualification. Mic drop on the Shannon Ranch. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, that you're exactly right. You're exactly right. 
we can continue talking about that topic and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about that topic for many, many episodes to come. But Shannon, I think that kind of rounds out our conversation for this week and until next week when we have more things to continue to talk about. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with more from Women Surfing soon. (laughs) Talk to you all next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye. hear that rachel yes yeah that was funny (laughs) got a steam train coming through random what was that it was a steam train literally oh it actually was like we live close to the train station but you can't hear the normal trains because they're really quiet but occasionally like the big steam trains will come through i guess that's funny i thought that was like maybe just an expression (laughs) no No, literally a steam train. Has because like it down. sounded like crazy being like, well, it's a steam train. And you were going to be like, oh, it was my stomach or something. Just some but classic it- old Australian thing. <laughs> oh, it's a steam train coming through, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, no, it's really a steam train. <laughs>